Let us return then to our reading that we read earlier from Jonah. And we want to choose our text, maybe today, that verse 17 of chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, for our text, let us read it. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Last week, as we continued our study of looking at Jonah and the prophet Jonah and his behavior, we left Jonah as he was cast overboard. He was cast overboard by his own instruction and his fellow mariners or sailors. They did not want to do this, but they recognized there was no other way. This indeed was the will of God for them. And they resisted it as much as they could, but they knew that this storm would not stop until God had his way. And God's way was to cast this man overboard. And that's what they did. As far as they were concerned, and as far as Jonah was concerned, it was to his death. This was, in effect, as far as they were aware, this was his funeral. Well, we're going to look at what happened after. For this is what our text deals with. And some would say that this verse 17 really should be part of chapter 2. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the title I want to give to our meditation this morning is Down, Down, Down. That's what it must have been like for Jonah. I wonder what kind of picture you have of Jonah at this time when he was just thrown overboard. I can ask this question of you because I'm sure that even those who have very limited and knowledge of the Bible will have heard something about Jonah. And you would have heard that he was a prophet who was rebellious, who disobeyed God, and ultimately he was thrown out of the boat, out of the boat into the water, and lo and behold, he was rescued by a great fish who swallowed him up. Now, I wonder what kind of picture you have of Jonah as he's, as he's been thrown overboard into the sea. Well, the sea was raging. The sea was tossing all about. And the likelihood is that when he was thrown overboard, it really made no impact upon the water around him. The water was swirling all around. But when he actually went into the water, there would be no great splash, for instance. But we know that when he went in, there was a, there was a calm. But then he went down. And I wonder what kind of opinion or what kind of picture you have of Jonah as he goes down through the water. We don't know how deep it was, but his prayer here tells us something about his experience because he went down, 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 right to the very bottom. I'm not sure I agree with this, but some commentators actually maintain that Jonah did in fact actually die. I don't know what you think of that. I throw it out to you, but 
Some maintain that he actually did die. Anyway, he most certainly had a terrible, terrible experience. He speaks of, for instance, the belly of hell in verse 2. Now hell there is to be regarded as the place of the dead, not hell as we would understand it. But it was a terrible experience for Jonah. Verse 2 tells us, the belly of hell. Weeds wrapped about my head, he says in another occasion. In verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. That's a very strange thing to say. We might think that uh, the sea is level. Well, the sea is not level. We can best understand it by looking upon the, our own landscape. We have areas that are flat, certainly, but we have mountains that rise up. The whole of the earth is not flat. Well, the whole of the seabed is not flat either. And instead of mountains rising up, there are mountains that go down. And Jonah went right down to the very bottom. He had a most awesome and a most terrible experience. He went down, down, down. He thought he was lost. He thought he was perished. He thought it was all over. There was no hope for him. Well, when we say he went down, 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 it really just followed the pattern of his behavior. We have read it on other occasions, but I, I will simply remind you today that in verse 3 of chapter 1, it tells us he went down to Joppa. And then when he got on the boat in chapter 5, he went down into the sides of the ship. Jonah was on a downwards path, down to Joppa, away from God, down into the boat, into the sides of the boat, away from the men. Now, friends, he was down. He was going right down to the very bottom of the sea itself. He was carrying on, going down, because he had turned his back upon the living God. We could think of another one, another one in the Old Testament, who had somewhat a similar experience. But whereas Jonah was disobedient, yet God dealt with his obedient servant, Joseph, in a very similar way. Joseph went down into the pit by his brethren. Joseph then went down to Egypt when he went down into a dungeon. Things could hardly get any worse for Joseph. But we know that it was all part of God's plan to prepare him for his exaltation when he would become the second ruler in Egypt. But it was through this down experience of getting into the pit, of being taken out as a slave, and then into the dungeon where he was most abysmally treated until that day when he stood before Pharaoh and he was exalted. God was working in him. Well, God was working in, in Jonah also. 
Jonah, who was disobedient, was brought low. Joseph, who was obedient, he was also brought low in order that he might be prepared for the great work that God had prepared for him later on. My friends, in my introduction, I want to stress upon us all that this is the way for the unbeliever and for the believer. It's the same. God would have us humble. God would need to break our pride. God brings us down. I'm reminded about the Lord Jesus Christ as he was going through Jericho. What did he see? He saw Zacchaeus, the great tax collector, a chief tax collector, a man with a lot of money. He was hated and despised, certainly, but he had a lot of money. He was good at his job. He was a chief tax collector. He had tax collectors under him. And he goes up because he's a small man. He goes up upon a sycamore tree and Jesus passes by. And what does Jesus say to him? Come down, Zacchaeus. Come down, Zacchaeus. Make haste and come down. Well, friends, maybe that's what the Lord is saying to us today. This is maybe what he's saying to you today, believer or unbeliever. It's high time that you came down. Down. It's high time that the, that the unbeliever came down. You're too full of yourself. You're too full of pride. You're too full of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to be saved. And he says to you today to come down. And if you will not come down, maybe he will bring you down. Because God is able to do this, friends. He is able. He brought Pharaoh down. What was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was, we would say, the most powerful man in the world. And he resisted God. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord? He is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he has your life in his hands. He can take your life at a moment's notice. And therefore you are to come down. And indeed, friends, when you become a Christian, it is a humbling experience. And if you've never been humbled, then I doubt if you've ever been called, I doubt if you're ever a Christian. Oh, we know we have to struggle with our pride and it can raise up within us. We know that. But friends, when you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to crucify your pride. You have to look to him. You have to look to that one that the world despises and hates and rejects and laughs at and scorns at. But you have to put your faith and your hope upon this one who bled and died on Calvary's tree. That one who had a crown of thorns upon his head. That's the one that you must go to. That's the one that must save you. And friends, that is not going to puff up your pride. No. It is a most humbling experience. But, of course, we're going to remind ourselves here, Jonah, Jonah was not an unbeliever. Jonah was a believer. And we might add he was more than just simply a private believer. He was a prophet. And God gave his word to the prophet. This doesn't happen to everyone. Jonah was set apart. He had to be humbled. 
He was indeed a believer, but he was living like an unbeliever. In fact, we might say he was living worse than an unbeliever. He was sinning against great light. To whom much is given, much is required. But God deals with him. And God brings him down. Right down. To the very depths of hell itself. Metaphorically speaking. Are you resisting God? You come to the house of God and we hope and we trust that God speaks to us through his word. Is the conscience pricked? Are you uncomfortable in your seat on occasions? Oh, we're not talking about every time. But God will speak. It's through the foolishness of preaching that he speaks. He's not silent. He is a master communicator. He will make his will known. He will highlight things in your life that you must deal with. For the unbeliever, the thing that he must deal with above all is to get right with God. If your conscience is troubling you about this matter, then you better deal with it. If not, God will deal with you. And if there are disobedient believers who are resisting God's will and word, be very careful. You're not dealing with a minister. You're not dealing with a, an office bearer. You're resisting God. Woe betide you. He can do as he pleases, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? Well, there are two things that I really want to highlight this morning with you. Two things from Jonah's experience, because Jonah here was restored. We can tell by his, his prayer. What are the two things then I wish to highlight depicting Jonah's restoration? Well, first of all, he returned to the presence of God. He returned to the presence of God. In chapter 2, we hear Jonah praying. In chapter 1, the captain asks Jonah, commands him, pray, call out to your God. Jonah didn't. But in chapter 2, he does. And as we will go on, and we'll see chapter 3, which maybe has some relevance to what we want to say this evening. But what do we find in chapter 3? Jonah in chapter 2, he's pouring out his heart to God in prayer. What do we find in chapter 3? We find him proclaiming. And there is a direct connection between prayer and preaching. But the very fact that we find here in chapter 2, Jonah is praying. This would reveal to us 
that the great transaction, the great transformation had truly begun. He prayed. When did he pray? He prayed when he was in affliction. Verse 2, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Here he was. He was really afflicted. We could all sympathize with him. Here he was drowning. No hope. Death imminent, if indeed it might have even had happened. We don't know. But he cries to the Lord in his affliction. And friends, this is what we're to realize when afflictions come our way. We are not to say that the They've come by nature or whatever. They've come by the hand of the living God. That's why he sends afflictions. That's why he sent that storm. In order that Jonah might be corrected. And God is the great author of our afflictions. He's not the author of evil, of course. He's not the author of sin. But when bad things come into the Christian's life, friends, you can be sure it has the stamp of God upon it. And it's there for a reason. It's there ultimately to restore you and to bring you back to himself. That's the plan and purpose of it. And it shall be accomplished. God will not be thwarted. And he cries when he's afflicted. Why does he cry when he's afflicted? Well, he begins to realize that he is in dire straits, but he has been preserved. He cries out because he ultimately recognizes that he's not out of the plan of God. Yes, he may have been rebellious. But he recognizes now that God has sent this affliction because God still has a work for him. And as he was told that he was going to go to Nineveh and to preach there, so he was indeed going to go to Nineveh and he would preach there. No matter how much he would resist, God would have his way with him. And therefore he recognized that although he thought he was going to be destroyed, the very fact that he was preserved, he was preserved in order that he might continue to do what he was called to. And here, friends, therefore, ultimately, he had, despite his afflictions, and they were terrible, despite his afflictions, he had a sense of the mercy of God. He had that sense that God is merciful towards me. Yes, he is chastising me. Yes, he is rebuking me. But I can see the mercy of God in it. He has not totally abandoned me. Our catechism gives us a wonderful definition of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. With thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And here Jonah was suffering, yet he saw mercy. He saw this strand in his affliction. God is being merciful to me, even in my afflictions. 
you'll never pray unless you realize that God is merciful. Unbeliever, why is it you are an unbeliever? You don't think God is merciful. You don't think God is merciful towards you. But God is merciful towards you. You have been preserved. How old are you? 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever. God has been merciful to you. Your day of grace is not over. The gospel is still being proclaimed to you. And God is merciful. And you must acknowledge this. And you must lay hold of the fact that God is merciful. And friends, we rejoice. God is merciful in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that you might come to him. Oh, that you would avail yourselves of this salvation that Christ has secured by his life and death and resurrection. Do we not see the mercy of God in sending forth his Son? Do we not see the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross, undertaking everything on behalf of others? Do we not see the mercy of the Spirit of God as he speaks to you, as he strives with you? Do you not see the mercy of the triune God? Oh, friends, do we not have something to say to this world? Do we not have something to say to these persons out there? Our God is merciful. He's merciful in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Jonah, he knew about the mercy of God before, but now he knows it like never before. He knows it. He's been restored. And therefore he cries out to God in his distress because he is merciful. What a wonderful thing to say. Where's the mercy today in this world? Will you find the mercy in the war zones of this world? No. Will you find it in the political world? Do you not see them out with their knives in the political world? Do you not see it? Do you not see how people speak against each other even in that world there? Is there mercy there? Is there mercy in the school playground? No, there's nothing there. Friends, there's mercy with God. And he's merciful to every one of us today. And he's merciful in the gospel to you, friend. To you. He had a wonderful sense of the mercy of God. And he cried out to the living God in his affliction. In it. Even in his afflictions. He could see the mercy of God. And I put it to you, friend, you with all your prosperity, with all your long life, with all your good health, you don't even see the mercy of God in these things. He sees it in affliction, but you don't see it when God blesses you. The goodness of God is to lead you to repentance, Paul says to the Romans. What a good life you have. And you don't see the mercy of God. Where did he pray? He prayed when he was in affliction. Where? He prayed in the belly of the, of the fish. Some people think you can only pray in a church. Well, a church building is a place to pray. 
My house shall be called a house of prayer. But friends, we are not to confine our prayers to buildings. These days are gone. The temple has been raised. We can pray whatever. We are to pray in spirit and in truth. We are to call upon the living God while he is near. You are to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today, here, now. You are to give him no rest. He prayed where he found himself in affliction, in the belly of the fish. I want to spend a moment here with this. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, we have the, the account of creation. And as the Bible is a book that's not verbose, that means the Bible doesn't always go into great detail about what has happened. I mean, for instance, you could think about the sun and the moon, the stars. And in Genesis chapter 1, he simply says, and he made the stars. Millions and millions of stars. How does the Bible describe it? And he made the stars. Nothing profound. Mankind would take books and books and books to say if how it was created if they were responsible for it. But there is, in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God created whales. Why? God doesn't, when he's talking about the creation, he doesn't say, well, he made other great animals like elephants or tigers or great birds like albatrosses. He doesn't specify anything. He just mentions the kinds, but he doesn't distinguish the kinds at all, except for, and God created great whales. And when we go to Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus talks about Jonah, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 40, for instance, it says the words of Jesus, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, Genesis tells us that God created the whales. Jonah's account doesn't mention whales at all. It simply says a great fish or fish. Jesus tells us in the New Testament that the fish was indeed a whale. <clears throat> Surely this then would remind us and teach us that even way back at the beginning, God saw this day. God saw this day when a great whale would rescue his disobedient servant. Does this not cause us, therefore, to 
admire our great and glorious God. Does this not tell us something more about God's plan of redemption? Does this not remind us again about the grace and the mercy of God, how our salvation, Christian, is no oversight. It's no last-minute plan B. It's not an emergency operation. It's something that has been in the mind of God from all eternity, that he would call out a people out of the world to himself. And in the fullness of time, the Savior would come. Oh, we've been talking about the mercy and grace of God. Does this not reinforce it then? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And part of that creation, he mentions a whale. And friends, Jonah is a type of Christ. Not in his disobedience, of course, but in the fact that he was in the belly of the whale three, and night, three days and three nights as Christ was in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. So who did he pray to? When he prayed in affliction, where he prayed in the belly of the whale, he prayed to the Lord his God. He acknowledged him as Lord and God. Verse 2. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. Verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. He prayed with faith. He prayed with faith in the Lord his God. He was totally restored to the presence of God. <clears throat> He was a transformed individual, recognizing that God indeed had saved him. And he was looking to the temple. His faith and his hope and his trust was upon that sacrifice upon the temple. And of course, all these sacrifices in the temple, they all pointed forward to that once for all supreme sacrifice of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, his cry was from affliction, and his cry was indeed from the belly of the wheel, but it was with faith. Faith in the Lord his God. Faith that one day he would carry out the mission that God had given to him. He believed, ultimately, that he would come out, that God was going to do something wonderful here because he had been merciful and gracious to him. And he therefore prayed with faith. Well, that was returning to the presence of the Lord. But secondly and briefly, we would notice 
that his prayer would remind us or teach us that he returned to the word of God. He returned to the word of God. He was running away from the presence of God. He was running away from the word of God. God had given him a word that he was to go to Nineveh. Now, friends, if you look at his prayer, you can tell not only has he returned to the presence of God, but he's returned to the word of God. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have been singing the Psalms with understanding today, you will have noticed that Jonah could have written any of these Psalms. These Psalms, these verses that we have sung would typify Jonah's experience. And therefore, when he quotes these things in his prayer, he is reminding us and telling us that he's familiar with the Word of God. And he's praying as someone who knows the experience. He has been talking about being overwhelmed, about the floods coming over him. This is what has happened to him. And he was able to relate that experience because, friends, he knew the word of God. And as we've said on other occasions, he has, if you like, he's turned the word of God into his prayer book. And particularly the Psalms. Now, the Psalms obviously were inspired by the Spirit of God. And uh, when, if it was David or, other, or another psalmist who wrote them, they were relevant to his life. But they also speak ultimately of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Psalms do. Yes, they apply to the, the very individual who wrote them. But their fuller and final application is more than likely to be found in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his prayer was dominated by Scripture. What does it say, for instance, verse 4? He was going to look to the temple. Verse 4, I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. What does verse 7 say? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee, into thine holy temple. He was looking to that sacrifice for sins. That's what his faith was in what God was doing in the temple. Now Luke tells us about this. In Luke chapter 30, for instance, chapter 11, verse 30, it says, the words of Jesus, for as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus is telling us there that Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. In other words, how God had dealt with Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites. How could he possibly be assigned to the Ninevites? Well, you can just imagine it. He comes out of the belly of the whale. He ultimately goes to Nineveh. He's got a message. He's got a message about judgment that's going to come upon Nineveh. But he's also got a message of his own personal experience with the Lord and how the Lord has dealt with him. 
And how did the Lord deal with him? The Lord dealt with him mercifully. Surely this message, therefore, was conveyed to the Ninevites. Jonah would tell them, yes, repent. Look at what has happened to me. I'm here today because I was rescued. I was disobedient, but I was put under affliction, and I was saved. Therefore, Ninevites, repent, believe, turn, because God is merciful. Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites. We have a greater than Jonah, friends. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a sign to us today, here, now, in Partick. He's the one who suffered and died. He's the one who was put into a cold tomb, and there he was until very early on the first day of the week when death could no longer hold him. And up from the grave he arose, a mighty triumph over all his foes. That's the sign that's been given to this generation and to every generation until the generations will come to an end. This is the sign, friends. This is the sign that we're to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you must put your faith and hope and trust upon him, otherwise you will perish. This would be the sum and the substance of what Jonah said. Repent or perish. And you have a wonderful encouragement to repent. Why? Because God is merciful. And do we not have a greater encouragement? Do we not have a greater encouragement? Do we not have a Savior who will save to the uttermost? Do we not have a Savior who has laid down his life in obedience, Jonah in disobedience, but the Son of Man in obedience? What a sign. Do we not see, therefore see the sign that God would have us to see how merciful and gracious he is? Jonah was brought low by the Lord before he was restored. This is always the way 